if he was a defender of the faith. Yet, he's following so much of a man-made religion without even knowing it. Why? Well, his source documents for truth and what he was building life upon wasn't simply God's word anymore. There was so much added to it. You know, as we went through the Gospel of Matthew, at times we would deal with things like the Sabbath day. And I would bring up to you about how much was added on to the Sabbath day that instead of becoming a day of rest like it was intended, it became one of the most burdensome days that nobody looked forward to. In the text right here, Christ is going after the reality of how God actually never had their heart. Or they never had a heart for God, I should say. He deals with three different areas. And something that will help us. He deals with what they were laboring for, what they were working for. What they were looking for and what they were living for. All three affect whoever has your heart. So the question to start off with for us today is, and we'll look at this now and then at the end, is who genuinely has your heart? Who has it? You know, often we need to pray, just like David, Lord, examine me. Lord, examine my heart. See if there be any wicked thing. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We can fool ourselves into believing God has our heart, just like the Pharisees did. So the Lord is putting a test here, if you will. Three choices, three things for you to consider to see, okay, let's see who has your heart. What is it that you're looking, what is it that you're laboring for? What is it that you're looking for? And what is it that you're really living for? It's a simple test. He starts off, and these are popular verses here in the Sermon on the Mount. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Boy, isn't this opposite of what we're taught in Western culture? And he goes on, giving the principle, and I'm going to cover more of it here in a minute, for your treasures, there will your heart be also. Then what you're looking at, the light of the body is the eye. It's so important what your, what your eye is focused on. And then finishing up in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Masters, who's in control? Who is it that you're living for? Today, we're certainly taught a very false view of what is important. We're taught in Western culture to live for things like money, like pleasure, self. We're actually raised in a culture that teaches pride to make it about you. If that's all you grow up here, that's what you believe life is about. You think it's about making a name for yourself, about establishing yourself here, about getting, getting certain things and acquiring uh, uh, certain different possessions that will equate in your mind a matter, a matter, a manner of success. But it's a false view. Thinking, boy, if I accomplish this, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to find meaning. I'm going to find peace. This is my goal. Yet, in reality, that's, there's no truth in that. It is at best a fleeting happiness. Think as we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
You can think of those who have, have wealth beyond measure. And yet they have a medicine cabinet full of drugs to try and produce happiness in them. They seem to have everything the world could offer, yet there's prescription after prescription trying to produce a fake happiness in their life. Needing drugs to produce a false joy. What Christ is challenging here is this worldview that we have accepted even in Western culture. He uses simple truths to try and see how, how, how false this view is. To try and get you to see what's really important. Again, the fact is, I've said it often, if there is a Creator, which there is, that's why we're here, then guess what? Life's all about Him. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's about Him. So, to help us see this, once again, in this Sermon on the Mount, he looks at what we're laboring for, what we're looking for, and what we're living for in this section of the text. So, take a good look at your life, all of us, and be honest. Ask yourself right now, who has your heart? If that is not God, something's wrong. So, now... To make sure we're looking at that and not deceived, we have this choice to measure, to look at, to examine of what we're laboring for, of what we're looking for, and of what we're living for. So let's see who has our heart. First off, let's go back to verse 19 through 21, what we're, what we're working for. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. Where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. During the time of Christ, and really well before his time, but was still taking place even well into the Roman Empire, wealth was determined by, by different things. Not only how much gold you might have had or money you might have had, but there would be different measures in life that when you went out in society that demonstrated it. The garments that you wore. The garments that you wore would be very indicative if you had wealth or if you did not. It was important what type of garment you had. They even used garments to demonstrate different emotions for that matter. You can think of in the Old Testament examples of this from Achan to Joseph to uh, Benjamin, Samson, on and on. Even, even food could be a measure of wealth. <clears throat> Actually, even the word for ruster can even, even apply that of eating, something eating away at. As it deals with here, we're not to labor to lay up treasures here on this earth. But that's exactly what we're taught, though. To do so is basically, if you will, ignoring the existence of God. Even though we claim that we believe Him, and, and you might. But it's living as if He doesn't exist. As if all there is is this earth right now and that's it. Listen, if, if, if I was an atheist, that's all there is to live for. That's it. But if there is a creator, there is a God. Oh, to labor just simply for the here and now. There was a, the last billionaire that I know who died. There might be some, some others. I know it was a fella in Australia. He had $6 billion. 
when he died. Six billion. Guess what? When he died, none of it went with him. It was over with. He accumulated all that, all that treasure here on earth. But just like that man who built his barns and built bigger barns, I'm going to take my ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's over with. Steve Jobs built that enormous empire. Apple. An incredible story of how it all came about. Then one day, he went to the doctor. If I remember the story right, he found out he had pancreatic cancer. Know what he realized that day? What does it matter? The Bible even instructs us in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 4, labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Again, it's not that money is amoral, to be honest. It is. It's amoral. I, I can take you in Scripture where it shows God's blessed with money and at different times where money was a curse. I can do the same thing with poverty, where poverty was the result of wickedness and other times it was a result of a humble walk with God. The money itself is amoral. The question is, what has your heart what is it that you're actually living for, working towards? Riches are fleeting. We saw that in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and several other places where it dealt with the foolishness of living for riches. Whatever it is you're living for, they will corrupt. That house that you're going to buy is just going to start breaking down. That new car you have, that new boat you have, just give it time. It'll start breaking down. Remember, wherever you lay your treasure, your heart is going to follow that. That's so important. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. What you, what you are expending your energy, your time, your, your expenses on, your heart's going to follow that. I, I, I use that very same principle in marriage counseling. Invest in your spouse. Your heart will follow. I, I, I've given the example out with, with you can have, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody in here right now that has one really nice vehicle and then one vehicle that's just not so nice. We sort of had that in New Guinea. We had a, although the Land Cruiser was 25 years old when we got it, it was our nice vehicle. And then we had the, the, the Ford truck. That thing had been so beat up by the road. If you walked up to that and you decided just to key all the way down it, good. Play tic-tac-toe on it. I didn't care. I didn't care. There wasn't much invested in it. But... In that 70,000 Kina Land Cruiser, if you did that, I have a problem with it now. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Your heart will follow. Do you want to know why those men were appreciative of those who came out and helped? Because of what was invested in what that took. The heart follows. You show me where your time is, where your money is, and I'll show you what has your heart. This is why the Lord's given the warning here not to live for things, because your heart will follow it. You think you can just try and head that direction, but it's going to have your heart. God won't have your heart. You might be faithful to church, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God has your heart.
Again, you know, it's ironic. If, if you want to increase your love for God, I believe you should pray about it. I, I think that's something you pray about every day. Lord, increase my love for you. But invest in Him more. Put time and energy into Him. Your heart will follow. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Lord is working on my memory. I, I appreciate that. I have brought out my pre-edited message. <laughs> all my changes I made, this is the wrong one. So I'm going to preach it anyhow. First Timothy chapter 6, all from memory here. I'm going to do a great job. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Think, think of this in relation to what we just read there, Matthew chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith, uh, and let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, in other words, that's what they're, they're, they're laboring to that. That's what they're working to, for. Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And it goes on, fight the good fight of faith, it continues. But the error was where the covetousness took over. In other words, all of a sudden what they were working towards had to deal with money and things of this world. Acquiring things now. That's where the error came in. Because the heart follows. God no longer has the heart. It's no longer about where he's he's going to get to at the end of Matthew chapter 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Whether God decides to grant riches or or enough. You just be content. Like Paul said, I've learned to be content with whatever state I am. Whether I'm abounding or I'm not. Why? Because his life was about God. When, when, in other words, when he was abounding, his life was about God. When, when he was abased, when he had hardly anything to eat at all, his focus didn't change from God then. It was still all about God. <clears throat> so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what, I have to be honest, what is it that I'm really working for? What am I laboring for? Am I laboring to be rich? Is that my end goal? I grew up in that a lot around family and whatnot. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a lost home. It was all about making it to some financial dream in the end. <clears throat> then he goes on. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Number two, what you're looking for. 22 and 23 here. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus now dealing with our eye, what we're looking for in life. He's using the illustration of the physical eye for a very spiritual application. Physical eye, of course, lets light in. It's what enables us to be able to see. Physical eye cannot focus, it's interesting, in opposite directions. He's going to tie that in here and in verse 24. You can't focus in opposite directions with your eyes. It's not possible. I remember 
I was in uh, New Guinea. This was actually either when we first got there, maybe even a survey trip. And, but it was early on regardless of the ministry. And I, was, and I traveled down to Willow. And Willow was about, about five, six hours from us, the very southern part of the island. It's where the road ended, basically. The road had ended. We still had to get into the village. But you now had to walk just a little bit. It was basically the first village after the road ended. was Willow. But to get there, you had one river you had to cross. And so I showed up at the river, and it was a log that you had to cross on. I'm not big on logs. <laughs> and the river's going. It wasn't super high up above it, but it was enough. And, uh, and so they're taking me there. They don't have any shoes. I have any shoes. And they're just flying across the thing. And I stop. I'm like, all right, you do this every day since you've been two. Um, I, I haven't done this yet. And so I, I know that I'm the white guy and I'm going to fall in that river. So I want to orchestrate them, so, or I want to direct them so they can go down to the bottom and be ready to catch me when I'm floating down that river. And uh, so I get there, and, but I realized real quick that the whole key to balancing this thing, and the log's not, it's not like it's a giant log, it's just a, you know, it's just a, a regular-sized tree log, just one foot in front of the other, that's all you've got to do. That sounds simple until you hear the water, the water's rushing by, you've got people running around everywhere. I'm convinced one of them's going to try and walk right past me on this thing. But no, all I had to do was, it all depended on what my eye was focused on. I couldn't focus on the river. It was moving. I couldn't focus on them as they're moving around. And I didn't want to tell them, I can't do this. There wasn't about, too much pride involved now. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to have to go through and cross this thing. But I knew I just had to stay focused right on the log. That's it. I'm just going to focus on the log. And it looked easy. I made it look like I've done this before. I did not. It was not easy. It all determined what I was looking at, what my focus was on. So what is it that you're focusing on? The eye is the light of the soul. Christ has talked about the importance of your eye being single. Of the eye being focused on God and nothing else. Instead of several things at one time and trying to look in opposite directions, which is impossible. We want to meet our requirement for God, but there's just so many other things that we want to grab our attention. Just focus on God. So what is it that you're looking for in life? I like how David put it in Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing. That's focus. That's focus. And there's, there's benefits to that. One, when, you, when that is, when your focus is on God... You have a measure of spiritual perception that is open because you gain light. You gain light. There's a measure of discernment, a perception that you now have that you can see. I get it. I understand. This is how it should go. But you try looking in the opposite direction, everything's just blurry to you. You don't, you don't know your right hand from your left hand. You don't know what's right and wrong. You're losing out on perception because your eye isn't single. It's not focused on God letting light in so you can perceive correctly. Focus on God. Allow Him to give you the light that's needed to give the direction in your life. A great example of this is found in Genesis chapter 13. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake. But it deals with Abraham and Lot. You have an example of a guy. It's a perfect example of Matthew 6 here in, in, in this verse. You have one man whose eye is single on God. 
You have another man who's trying to look in opposite directions. It affected his perception and his ability to discern. That's a lot. They had the strife going on, and Abraham says, listen, you, need to, you, you just need to pick which we, we can't stay together anymore. This isn't working. Remember, if you, if you remember right, God had all, when God gave instruction to Abraham, he, he wasn't to bring Lot with him. But Lot ends up coming. God, you know, God's grace is there, but the strife is occurring. Every, all that's happening. And Abraham finally says, let's separate. And there's a whole other sermon there, because it's not until Lot leaves. It's at that moment that God says to Abraham, lift up now thine eyes. That was after Lot left. That's why the now was there. But nonetheless, Lot has a divided eye. He's trying to focus on not only God, but on things in the world. He lacks discernment. He lacks perception. He goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah for the wrong reason. He doesn't seek God. God, what would you have me to do? We're having strife. I need to go a different direction. I have my family. I have my herds. Which direction should I go? Oh, this is an open door here. Look at, boy, look at those fields over there. Hello? That's the same direction as Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you heard about those places? Have you heard what's been taking place and all that? We're all right. We got this. We're strong. (laughs) No, you're not. Before you know it, he pitches his tent that way, but we all know the story. Before long, he's living in the middle of the city. And it cost him his family. Many times, because our vision is darkened, we don't view our life in the light of God. We make bad decisions. And thirdly, who it is that you're living for. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God a man. And boy, this is so true. So first off, the question here would be, who is your master? Say, I, I, well, I don't have one. Many think they don't have one. They're just full of pride on my own and all that stuff. So you have a master, I guarantee you. You do. Are you living for money? Are you living for pleasure? Are you living for self? Are you living for fame? Many think and try their best to try and live for God and this world. You can't do it. God's not going to allow you to sail your boat under two flags. It's one or the other. And he's right. You will come to despise the one. As you're going to realize as you're trying to serve two masters, all of a sudden you're going to realize there's conflict. You can't do it. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start despising the other. Now this is how we mask it in IFV circles. This is how we mask this. Because the principle is true. You're not going to say, I despise God. But you're going to despise the truth that's coming at you that contradicts how you want to live. That's despising God. You're going to realize, wait, wait, if I'm going to go this direction, this is God's truth, you're going to despise that truth. You're going to minimize it. You're going to excuse it. Because you cannot serve both. You're going to despise one or the other. The two masters that Christ is dealing with between the world and God are diametrically opposed to each other. The one says, walk by faith. The other says, no, you walk by sight. The one that says, walk humbly with thy God. The other says, to walk in your pride. They're opposite. The one wants your attention on self. 
And God wants your attention nowhere near self. The one wants you to build your own kingdom. Why God wants you to build His kingdom. Because life is about Him. Only one of those can genuinely have your love in your heart. The other you will begin to despise. Again, and if the world keeps grabbing your heart more and more, you will begin to despise the things of God. We all have a choice to make of who it is we're going to live for. Joshua made this decision as we read in, in 24, 15, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, the great thing about that is this. Don't miss out what, what was so important about that verse. He never, in other words, he already knew how he would respond when different circumstances arose in his life. He already knew how he was going to respond. Whatever direction was following God. In other words, it wasn't, he wasn't going to wait until Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock to determine how he felt if he was going to go to church. No, he already determined, I'm serving God. Unless I'm providentially hindered, I would be there. That's what, that, that's what he's saying. Or when he's faced with a, with a key decision in leadership. Okay, uh, I've determined I'm serving God. Which direction should I go here? It, uh, all right, where's the Bible principle in this? That's the way I want to go. Caleb, who wholly followed the Lord as God, the Bible says. It gets to the point where basically you have to make a choice and not straddle the fence. We try and straddle the fence for as long as we can. The answer is God. It is. It's to get on that side of the fence and stay there. If you jump on the other side of the fence, the day will come when you will regret it. The day will come when you're going to realize what I've given my time and my energy to is vanity. All of a sudden, all that I laid up, you're going to realize it doesn't matter. Oh, but I built a good name. Just give it 100 years. Nobody's going to remember it. Probably give it one year and nobody will remember it. I'm being really generous with 100. I am. Just give it time. Nobody will remember you here. But what you do for the Lord, that's eternal. I mean, really, if there is a creator, he's what life is all about. Just like, just like Elijah said, if God be God, well, then serve him. Even though Christ has given us his choices, it's a measure, okay, what is it that I'm actually working for? What is it that has my focus, my eye? And, and what is it that I'm really living for? The obvious choice is it should be God. The Pharisees were confused. This was a test for their heart. He's trying to get them to see, listen, what you guys are really obsessed with is wealth. What you're obsessed with isn't just wealth, it's your name. He wants them to see, what are you really living for? That was to be convicting upon their heart. Because in, in truth, they had this facade up where they deceived their own heart and believed they were living for God and it wasn't true. And many times when faced with that, they'd have a choice to make. I mean, you can see what happened with Stephen. When he, was, when, when he was convicting and he was letting him know no, what, you, what you've been living for and teaching, it's wrong. And, and how that, you know, you could just see him in, that, in, that, in, in pain when they're hearing this. Even to the point they were willing to, not willing, they went ahead and actually killed Stephen. So we have three choices, three things to examine in our life. To see what it is that actually has our heart. To see what it is that we're actually laboring for, looking for, and living for. With heads bowed and eyes closed.
Now, if you're here right now, you'd say, Pastor McGovern, I am not even certain that I am converted. I do not know if I was to die right now that heaven is my home. I don't know what happened to me. If you are in that, if that is your thought, or your word that you would go to hell, or your salvation's been bothering you, say, Pastor, please, I need you to pray for me. I'm in one of those three categories. Would you just raise your hand for me real quick? see some small children. Just raise your hand and put it down. All right, Christian. I started off by asking this during the introduction. To say, what is it that has your heart? Is that God? If you were to look right now, if you think the Lord was to come down right now and have a conversation, which basically He did with His Word, by the way. But just to say, you know, I'm just going to throw a name out there, not thinking of a name in particular. You know, John, this is what has your heart. What do you think that answer would be if that was you? What would he say? If you need to come and pray, you come and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. I pray that you bless this invitation. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 491. And if you need to come and pray,